Bankless Nation, we have a special episode for you today, a bonus episode. The question on my mind is, are Democrats for or against crypto? We have Representative Richie Torres, who happens to be a Democrat, helping to answer that question. I'm taking this episode solo today, but it is jam-packed. This is our first Democratic member of Congress on Bankless, so you know we had to ask him, what does he think about crypto? Is it a partisan issue? What does he think of Gary Gensler and CDBCs? Will crypto become a 2024 election campaign issue? And how about his party? How about the Democrats? How do we get more support for crypto among progressives and among Democrats? That was the question today. So yes, we are having a politician on the podcast today. And I want to begin by saying this. Bankless is not a political podcast. We're not red. We're not team blue. We don't have a party affiliation to the U.S. or in any country. What we do care about are values like decentralization, autonomy, and power to the people that underlie crypto technology. You've heard us talk about this before on the Bankless podcast. And to the extent these values are political, so are we. This is not a clean party lines distinction. We'll have anyone on the podcast from Team Red, Cynthia Lummis, Ted Cruz. They're all welcome here. So is AOC and Elizabeth Warren. We just want to have the conversation. For my own part, as I've said before, I see massive value for both conservatives and true progressives in the crypto movement. And I think that'll come out here today. I'll be back to have this conversation with Representative Richie Torres right after we hear from the fantastic sponsors who made this episode possible, including Kraken, our number one recommended crypto exchange. Go create an account. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. If you haven't experienced the superpowers that a smart contract wallet gives you, check out Ambire. Ambire works with all the EVM chains that are out there, the layer twos like Arbitrum, Optimism, and Polygon, but also the non-Ethereum chains like Avalanche and Phantom. Because of the power of smart contract wallets, Ambire lets you pay for gas in stable coins, meaning you'll never have to spend your precious ETH again. The web app has numerous fiat on-ramps to make it easy to dump your fiat for crypto. And if you like self-custody, but you still want training wheels, you can recover a lost Ambire wallet using an email and password, but without giving the Ambire team any control over your funds. Check it out at ambire.com for the web app experience. But also, the Ambire mobile wallet is coming soon for both iOS and Android. And if you want to be a beta tester, you can sign up at ambire.com app. And since you stayed to the very end of this ad read, you should know that Ambire is airdropping its wallet token to early users for simply just using the wallet. So if you want to get started with Ambire, all the links that you need are in the show notes. Arbitrum 1 is pioneering the world of secure Ethereum scalability and is continuing to accelerate the Web3 landscape. Hundreds of projects have already deployed on Arbitrum 1, producing flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystems. With the recent addition of Arbitrum Nova, gaming and social dApps like Reddit are also now calling Arbitrum home. Both Arbitrum 1 and Nova leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, 
and fully EVM compatible. On Arbitrum, both builders and users will experience faster transaction speeds with significantly lower gas fees. With Arbitrum's recent migration to Arbitrum Nitro, it's also now 10 times faster than before. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first dApp. With Arbitrum, experience Web3 development the way it was meant to be. Secure, fast, cheap, and friction-free. Bankless Nation, I'm super excited to introduce you to Representative Richie Torres. He's a member of the U.S. House of Representatives from New York's 15th Congressional District. This is basically the Bronx. Uh, Representative Torres was elected to Congress in the 2020 elections and is one of the few members of the Democrat Party who is pro-crypto. And that is great to hear. Representative Torres, welcome to Bankless. How are you doing today? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Can you tell us, uh, firstly, we've been looking for some Democrats to come on Bankless to talk a bit more about crypto, um, and you are a name that has come to mind um, more than a few times. Tell us about your position on crypto. Why are you supportive? Why are you pro-crypto? Uh, sure, uh, and I and I should start with a disclaimer. You know, I've I've never been a user of crypto. I've never been an investor in crypto, so I have no personal skin in the game. Uh, but I do have an intellectual curiosity about the innovative possibilities of crypto and blockchain. Like I'm drawn to the potential of blockchain to radically decentralize the internet, creating a new layer, commonly known as Web3, or radically decentralize finance, creating a better, cheaper, and, a, and faster payment system, particularly for the lowest income families. You know, I'm excited about the possibility of creating a decentralized economy, a progressive ownership society in which workers and creators can keep a greater share of their own income, can enjoy and own the fruits of their own labor. Um, you know, I'll, I'll use a, an analogy. So I represent a neighborhood known as Arthur Avenue, which historically was actually controlled by the mafia. And if you owned a business on Arthur Avenue, you would have to pay a toll or taxes to the mafia. And there's a sense in which big tech is the mafia of Web2. Um, you know, Apple has a take rate of about 30%, YouTube 50%, Facebook 100%. In fact, big tech has a much higher take rate than the mafia. And so what I find most appealing about crypto and blockchain is that it will enable workers and creators to liberate themselves from the excessive and often extortionary rent-seeking of the legacy financial system and the legacy internet. These are many of the benefits that we see, uh, Representative Torres, but I want to ask you the question, if you could do some political analysis, how come you think this topic of crypto is so polarizing in Capitol Hill? Well, I think the starting point is a lack of education. Like everyone seems to have a, an opinion on crypto. Everyone has heard of crypto, but few people can define it. I mean, I would venture to guess that most members of Congress could not define crypto, blockchain, and Web3, and yet everyone is rushing to offer an opinion on the subject. So the, the you know, I, I said earlier at a congressional hearing that there seems to be an anti-crypto derangement syndrome that has clouded clear and rational thinking about the subject of crypto, and much of it is rooted in ignorance. What you will find is that the pro-crypto members of Congress are much more knowledgeable about the technology uh, than the opposition. Would you think uh, there was a time, I would say, in the not too 
um, distant past where I would have said crypto was kind of a bipartisan issue. And there was kind of some bipartisan support, uh, but not a lot. A lot of bipartisan apathy, I would say, or neutrality, let's say. But increasingly, it's it's seemed to have split among party lines. And I'm wondering if you see that. And it, I'm I'm wondering if um, you like, what could you say on behalf of the Democratic Party? Like, what how would you sell members of the Democratic Party on on this technology? And why do you think it has split across partisan lines? Well, my perception is that the divide on crypto is not so much partisan or ideological as it is generational. You will find that younger Democrats like myself and Wiley Nickel, who sits on financial services, are much more open to the innovative possibilities of crypto and blockchain. And, and I want to be you know, crystal clear, whatever one's personal view of crypto is irrelevant. Like for me as a policymaker, my role is not to evaluate the utility of crypto and blockchain, right? You know, the role of government is not to sabotage innovation. The role of government is to ensure that innovation is safe for consumers and investors. Um, and so that's the role that I see myself as playing in the United States Congress. As you know, Congress is something of a gerontocracy. Um, until recently, our, our three leading three leaders in the Democratic caucus were all above the age of 80. Uh, almost all of our committee chairs are above the age of 70. Uh, and so among the leading members of Congress, there tends to be uh, a xenophobia about new technologies like crypto and blockchain. So I see it more as a generational divide than an ideological one. More of a generational divide yeah. than an ideological one. And uh, so you do think that there are wins for the Democratic Party and kind of the, the policies and, and the things that the Democratic uh, Party values, there, there are lots of wins in crypto. So would you point to like- well, I, I think um, everyone has, like there's a sense in which crypto is a Rorschach test. Right. On which you can project your ideological values. You know, a, a exactly. libertarian sees in crypto a tool for an alternative to government control. Mm -hmm. uh, a progressive might see in crypto an alternative to corporate control or a tool for aiding the most vulnerable in our society. And a conservative might see in crypto a tool for creating a civil society on the internet. So it's like a buffet. There's something for everyone uh, in the world of crypto and blockchain. And I can explain briefly why it appeals to me. I, I represent New York 15, uh, which is the South Bronx. It's the poorest congressional district in America. And so I represent families who are struggling to put food on the table and pay their bills and keep their families afloat. And these are families who have been catastrophically left behind by the traditional financial system. Right? I represent immigrants who pay exorbitant fees in order to transfer their own money abroad to their loved ones. You know, about a decade ago, the New York City Department of Consumer Affairs did a study and found that low-income people in places like the South Bronx pay $200 million a year on check cashing fees. Hmm. People of color in places like the South Bronx. And so for me, a technology like blockchain can enable the lowest income families to transfer remittances while escaping the long delays and the high fees of the traditional financial system. And, and that's a game changer. What would you like to see Congress or the US do to sort of support uh, the uh, use cases and 
the crypto technology that can bring the change that you just discussed? What could Congress be doing? What should it do? Well, Congress should create a workable but rigorous framework for regulating crypto. Uh, we should create a framework that enables the best actors to innovate while filtering out the worst actors. And, and what I find fascinating is the debate in Congress is not how to regulate crypto, but whether to regulate crypto. You know, th there, there is an anti-crypto faction which has taken the position that crypto should collapse under the weight of its own volatility and that to regulate crypto is to legitimize it. Whereas I feel differently. I feel like we have an obligation to create an environment in which the worst actors are held accountable, but the best actors are given the freedom to innovate, to build on the computing platform that is blockchain. I think this sounds reasonable. I, I mean, one of the criticisms, though, from the, um, the crypto community to regulators and um, to the U.S. government is uh, entrepreneurs and those good actors trying to work on some of the use cases that you just mentioned don't have sufficient regulatory clarity. There's a kind of a, an encounter in a congressional hearing a couple of weeks ago where members of Congress repeatedly asked uh, the, the leading regulator of the SEC, Gary Gensler, to just tell us a simple matter, second largest market cap cryptocurrency, that is Ethereum, whether it's a security or not. And he failed to do that. He wasn't able to do that. Uh, how could we get more clarity to the industry? Do, do, you, do you agree that the clarity that we have is not sufficient to foster this technology and to have it um, achieve some of these cases that you mentioned in the United States? There is a lack of regulatory clarity. The SEC under Gary Gensler has not issued a single rule relating to crypto. It has not issued a single piece of guidance relating to crypto. It has simply taken enforcement actions that come out of nowhere. And the crypto community feels ambushed by the SEC. It feels like the SEC is weaponizing the registration process uh, against the crypto industry. For me, clarity is the cornerstone of compliance. You know, the government has no right to accuse you of speeding unless it is telling you the speeding limit, unless it is clearly defining the rules of the, the road. And so there needs to be a greater regulatory clarity. And, you know, I confronted Mr. Gensler a few weeks ago, and I said to him, the lesson learned from the failure of FTX is that companies like FTX, offshore, overleveraged, deregulated companies, bear the greatest risk of losing customer funds. So why not focus your enforcement efforts on companies that bear the same characteristics as FTX? And yet, Mr. Gensler has done otherwise. Instead of targeting Sam Bankman-Fried, he's chosen to target Kim Kardashian. Instead of targeting an offshore exchange, he's chosen to target Coinbase. Instead of targeting an offshore uh, stablecoin issuer, he's chosen to target Paxos, which is rigorously regulated by the New York State Department of Financial Services. And so when I brought up these points to Mr. Gensler, he, he more or less conceded the premise of my question. And, and in my view, his enforcement priorities are catastrophically in the wrong place. Is this just a problem with one rogue regulator and uh, in, the SEC, in the SEC, or is it deeper than that? Um, some in crypto have, have um, brought forth this idea of maybe a, an operation checkpoint where there is an all-out assault on crypto that spans uh, multiple 
regulatory branches and multiple areas of government where it's it's become much more difficult to, even for a crypto entrepreneur or a startup to actually get a bank account. Like we can't even get the industry like banked uh, in a regulated way. Is this one rogue actor or do, or do you feel like it's deeper than this? There is skepticism about crypto across the regulatory state, but Gary Gensler stands in a class of his own when it comes to weaponizing the registration process against crypto. And what I find ironic is that Mr. Gensler himself was once a supporter of crypto and blockchain. I mean, he taught a course on blockchain when he was at MIT. A few weeks ago, there was a video of Mr. Gensler shilling for a particular blockchain. So there's the old Gary Gensler who was a crypto cheerleader, and then there's the new Gary Gensler who's a crypto critic. And the new Gary Gensler would accuse the old Gary Gensler of selling an unregistered security. So uh, it, it would be amusing were it not for the fact that his approach to crypto is driving the activity offshore, which will only create more companies like FTX. Representative Torres, why does this happen to people when they go to D.C.? I mean, like, this is kind of a fundamental uh, question I have generally, and I think a lot of members of our generation have. It, it just seems like there's this corrupting force where, you know, before you get to D.C., you uh, have one vision for the world and have one set of values. And then after you get to D.C., uh, all of that changes. Like, why is there a new Gary Gensler? Why does it have to be the case? Um, is there just a corrupting force? Or, like, how do you explain this? Politics poisons everything it touches. And when regulators act like politicians, um, it has a distortionary effect on, 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 on industries like crypto. Um, you, you know, there are politicians and regulators who are intent are on portraying crypto as the villain in order to portray themselves as heroes, as saviors. Uh, and so... For me, it's ultimately driven not by principle, but by politics. That's how I view the behavior of these actors. You know Uniswap. It's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap Mobile Wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Safe, simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. Learning about crypto is hard. Until now. Introducing MetaMask Learn, an open educational platform about crypto, Web3, self-custody, wallet management, and all the other topics needed to onboard people into this crazy world of crypto. MetaMask Learn is an interactive platform with each lesson offering a simulation for the task at hand, giving you actual practical experience for navigating Web3. The purpose of MetaMask Learn is to teach people the basics of self-custody and wallet security in a safe environment. And while MetaMask Learn always takes the time to define Web3 specific vocabulary, it is still a jargon-free experience for the crypto curious user. Friendly, not scary. 
MetaMask Learn is available in 10 languages with more to be added soon, and it's meant to cater to a global Web3 audience. So are you tired of having to explain crypto concepts to your friends? Go to learn.metamask.io and add MetaMask Learn to your guides to get onboarded into the world of Web3. Can you tell me about uh, your, your policy or stance on uh, central bank digital currency? So there are different um, things people mean when they say CDBC, right? Um, and uh, recently there's been more uh, political clamor about certain, um, certain politicians rejecting the idea of a CBDC. Um, you know, um, DeSantis in Florida has even worked on some legislation to have it banned in Florida. What, what's your take from your community and from kind of the value set that you just purported, what's your take on a central bank digital currency? Is that a good thing for the United States? Um, does it require safeguards? Are you supportive of it? Or uh, do you not like the idea of a central bank digital currency? Well, to be honest with you, I, I have no strong opinions about a CBDC. Um, I would have questions. So first, I do believe that the Federal Reserve does not have the authority to create a CBDC without the express approval of Congress. I feel like that's such a consequential policy that Congress ought to weigh in on the matter. So, so that's where I agree with some of the criticisms. Um, but the question I would ask is, what function would a CBDC perform that could not be performed presently by a stablecoin? Right? If it's simply mimicking the function of a stablecoin, then I would question the necessity of it, the utility of it, but if there's a value add, then I would have an open mind about it. So it, it depends on what the arguments are made uh, with respect to CBDC, but I certainly believe that if there were to be a CBDC, it would have to perform a function that's not presently performed by a stablecoin. Um, and there would need to be clear congressional authorization. You know, one of the common misconceptions about crypto is that cryptocurrency would pose an existential threat to the status of the dollar as the world's reserve currency. But we've actually seen the exact opposite. You know, the fact that most stablecoin issuers have chosen to peg their dollars, peg their stablecoins to the dollar, reinforces rather than challenges the supremacy of the US dollar. And so crypto blockchain stablecoins have enabled the United States to outcompete countries like China in the realm of digital currencies, even without a CBDC. One thing I think the uh, the crypto community is worried about, and I would say the the larger community that that cares about digital privacy and uh, civil liberties in the U.S. is worried about a some version of a central bank digital uh, currency that is completely surveilled, that does not uh, take privacy into account. Um, lately, you know, crypto itself has uh, come under fire, and uh, recently. I'm not sure if uh, you've been following this, but there has been a series of smart contracts on Ethereum, Tornado Cash, Privacy Mixer, ba basic privacy technology on Ethereum that's been OFAC sanctioned. And so the worry in the crypto community and the digital privacy community at large is if there is some version of a central bank digital currency that, that moves forward, right, um, and it does make sense, that it will have, it will be um, government surveillance attached and American citizens will lose their right to privacy, the same right to privacy they had with physical cash. If I give you cash, uh, a $20 bill, Representative Torres, 
There is no um, tech company, there is no agency in the US government that is tracking that transaction. Um, we're worried we lose that with the move to digital privacy, to a central bank digital currency or, or some sort of a government uh, mandated C CBDC. Can you weigh in on that? How, how important is this fight for uh, privacy in your eyes? Uh, it, it's, it's, it's so consequential as to be existential for our democracy. I mean, you know, a totalitarian regime like the Chinese Communist Party is intent on creating a CBDC so that it can monitor the transaction of every Chinese citizen and have the authority to unilaterally exclude disfavored citizens from the financial system. So that's the kind of authority that should never exist in the United States, that if we were to ever create a CBDC, there has to be strong safeguards for privacy and civil liberties, and those should be non-negotiables. Um, and then even if we were to have a CBDC, the usage should be limited. You know, I could imagine one circumstance in which it could be useful. So if, if the economy were on the verge of collapsing and we were on the verge of facing a Great Depression, then certainly something like a CBDC could enable an instantaneous injection of stimulus that could lift up the economy. But again, outside that context, I feel stable coins are performing the same function and probably could perform it more adroitly. Do you see the uh, crypto becoming an increasing uh, political issue uh, when we get to something like the, the 2024 elections or maybe crypto and CDBC, the, these types of issues, will they rise to the level of national conversation? Well, there are certainly more elected officials who are villainizing the crypto industry and scapegoating crypto as if it were the root of all evil in society. You know, I, I said earlier that Congress has an anti-crypto derangement syndrome and it's pervading our politics. But, you know, I, I see a disconnect because within the crypto community, I see a groundswell of enthusiasm and engagement. But there has been a failure to translate that grassroots enthusiasm for crypto into an effective operation in Washington, D.C. And at some level, it's understandable. You know, people see politics as something to be avoided. You know, people are so cynical and so disillusioned that they would rather keep politics at arm's length. But there's no escaping the power that politics wields on your life. And if you, if you disengage, um, you might react when it's too late. And, and, and that's why there's such antagonism toward the crypto industry, because the, store, the, the crypto community has not told its story in Washington, D.C. It's had its story told for, for the community by others. How would you advise us on that? How, how can we as the crypto community uh, step up and do better to, to educate and to tell our story? Well, there's, there, um, among some members, there's a prejudice against crypto. And prejudice means judging before knowing. Uh, and so if there's no knowledge of crypto, if there's no firsthand engagement with crypto entrepreneurs, then you become a boogeyman who can be easily villainized and scapegoated. And so I would encourage crypto entrepreneurs to meet with their members of Congress and explain the transformative power of the technology in their lives, like make what is presently abstract more real to those members of Congress. There's no substitute from hearing directly from the people who vote you into office. And, and I know people find politics nauseating and something to be avoided at all cost, but the, the future of crypto depends on political and civic engagement. 
So engagement, engaging representatives, Enga um, talking and, about and, issues. And not simply leaving it to lobbyists, but, but the entrepreneurs themselves, the innovators themselves should meet with their members of Congress and make the case for crypto. Um, and, and that's more powerful than you think. Um, for me, there's nothing more powerful than hearing directly from the people I represent in the Bronx. One uh, item that is adjacent to crypto, but somehow also affecting it are the recent uh, bank failures. Uh, and so we've seen a few bank failures in March and one as recently as, as last week with uh, First Republic Bank. What's going on here? Uh, do you have any takes? It's, it's straightforward. There's, there's, there's a classic series of bank runs. Um, you know, it's largely a story of interest rate management failure. Um, it, when interest rates rise, long-term assets become less valuable, but deposits become more valuable. And so if you have a stable deposit base, the gains from your deposits should offset the losses from your long-term assets. But if you have an unstable deposit base, then there's no structural offset. And, and that's precisely, that, that explains the failure of Silicon Valley Bank. 90% uh, of the deposits at Silicon Valley Bank were uninsured. And the largely uninsured, unstable deposit base of Silicon Valley Bank left it wide open to a bank run, particularly in the age of social media. You know, the, the speed of the Silicon Valley Bank failure was historically unprecedented. In 2008, Washington Mutual, which was the largest bank failure in history, saw the loss of about $16 billion in the span of 10 days. By contrast, Silicon Valley Bank saw the loss of $42 billion in the span of a few hours. So social media has enabled financial panic to spread on a scale and at a speed that we've never seen before. And banking regulators have to think about the role of social media in financial panics. Representative Torres, we've talked a lot about uh, crypto. We just talked um, about the, the the bank failures and and some of your takes on that. Um, I we're engaging in crypto with a you're, you're right a, an audience that skews younger uh, certainly, and I think that's what where this community kind of um, ha has arisen from. And I, I speak to a lot of younger people who are basically jaded by politics. Um, there's almost this nihilism, this this lack of hope. And, um, you know, crypto has been advertised as like, oh, it's a way to escape from the system. And um, my encouragement has been for young people to, uh, to engage in the political process, as, as you have encouraged us here today. Um, but I think in order to engage, they have to have some hope that uh, they will be heard, uh, that things can change. Um, as we close out this, uh, this episode, can you provide us some hope for the future? Like, what is going well about America right now? Where, where can we end up at the end of this decade? Uh, give us a reason to engage in, in the political process. Give us some hope here. Look, we're living in a time where the individual has never had a greater impact on society, where the potential for social impact has never been greater. I mean, we're living in a time where you're one hashtag away from sparking uh, a social movement. You know, hashtag I can't breathe. Um, the whole host of hashtags. And we've seen in the past few years some of the largest demonstrations in American history, from the Women's March to the March for Our Lives, March for Climate Change, March for Criminal Justice Reform. And the common thread among all these mass mobilizations is young people, is that young people have a passion for social justice. 
that has been a driver of social impact in our society. Uh, and so I feel like if there were ever a time to bet on the grassroots energy and the social impact of young people, that time is now. Awesome. We'll close with that. Representative Torres, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thank you for your voice in DC uh, for crypto. Um, we appreciate all that you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Bankless Nation, got to end with this. Risk and disclaimers, of course. None of this has been financial advice. It wasn't even political advice. At least I don't think so. Crypto is risky. You could definitely lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot.